Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another edition of Glad Tidings, your weekly roundup of all the latest Everton Football Club news from The Athletic, with me, Greg O'Keefe, and Paddy Boyland. Coming up today, cup dreams die, but not without a fight. Fitness update, mixed news on squad death for Goodison. The rise and rise of Ben Godfrey, and fight for your right back. So it's been a quiet week, obviously, Pad. International break is upon us. No match preview this week, but some good Everton content on the site nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not entirely sure it's ever a quiet week. Uh, I don't know if I'd use that word necessarily. There's always stuff happening. There's always debate debate to be had. Yeah. Um, and certainly if you look on, on Twitter, there's always a scapegoat to, <laughs> to be found somewhere, isn't there, in, in the Everton squad with, with things maybe not going so so well right now. Um no, I've enjoyed getting into some some features, looking at things that will crop up again over the summer, particularly with regards to Everton's right back situation. And I also had a nice chat with with Ben Godfrey the other day. So yeah, not all bad, really. Let's be honest. Yeah, it gives us time uh, in Sasha break sometimes to just kind of stretch and, and have a look at things from a different angle and do a little bit of uh, further in depth research. And, and I think what we found recently is it, it's a, we are able to produce a different type of piece. And anyway, you can subscribe to, uh, to join us and read those pieces on the athletic UK right now for a special price of just three pound 99 a month for six months. And that's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad free versions of all our podcasts. So go to the forward slash Everton pod take advantage of this special 40% discount. Once again, that's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. So it was kind of the most likely outcome in the end, um, with no less than 10 minutes on the clock. Nevertheless, we were still goalless with Manchester City, Pad. Uh, and uh, as we know, it didn't end quite as we wanted it to. However, there were some, obviously, some talking points and some positives in, in, in amongst it. I did a piece um, on Sunday afternoon. I don't know if you've read it yet, anyone, but about Joe Virginia and his reputation being, I'd say, significantly enhanced uh, in that game. Now, this is somebody who you, you'd written about last year when he was on loan at Reading, Pad, and we've both kept an eye on him, but you particularly with the 23s. And um, it was very promising what we saw from him in the game, wasn't it? Yeah, and no, to be honest, I think most of what he did against Burnley when he came off the bench after Pickford got injured, I think most of that was pretty good. Um, save for one moment where Ben Godfrey got in his way and it led to a very, very good chance for Mateus Vidra. Um, I thought he was pretty much assured. And this was a continuation of that, but at a higher level and amplified, um, really quite composed, kicking a little bit at times left, left something to be desired. But on the whole, I think he can be very happy with the work he did against Manchester City, 
big fear coming into this was that Everton were going into the game with the third choice keeper, a lad who was making his first start as it happened against Premier League opposition. And you wouldn't have been able to tell that. I don't think he, he looked assured. He looked like the kind of promising goalkeeper that Everton brought to the club from Arsenal a number of years ago. And I go, I go back to last year in the conversations I had with people at Reading. What they said to me was, it felt a little bit early for him to be the regular choice week in, week out in the Championship, particularly with Reading, Reading battling relegation. But one person I spoke to said that he had special traits, things that could be worked on over time and things that had brought him to the attention of Everton in the first place. So I thought he was I thought he was really quite good against Manchester City, a, a bright point amid the disappointment. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I know you, you spoke to Hugo Oliveira, didn't you, about, about him and, and kind of he, he had positive things to say too. Yeah, just about his maturity and his calmness um, and, and in the sense of that, instilling that calm into the defence in front of him. Um, obviously, Hugo worked at Benfica before um, moving on with, with uh, Marco Silva to Watford and then ultimately Everton. Uh, but while he was at Benfica, he worked with some of the best in the game at the moment. You know, he helped when he was at the academy in the unit, the goalkeeping unit at the the academy there, which was known as Eagle One, rather dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an American American kind of camp, doesn't it? Really? It does, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> and so they, you know, some some really special goalkeeping talents passed through that when Hugo was there, such as you know Jan Oblak and Edison, um, and so. To, to see that they were sp- speaking extremely highly of Virginia even back then hints at the, the ability and the potential they saw. And of course, he went to Arsenal and then Everton. So um, it's no surprise that I think that he's rated, but uh, me included, a lot of people maybe felt that when Reading didn't work out without knowing the ins and outs of it, um, maybe if the feeling was that he just wasn't going to uh, quite be of the grade. But no, I think he proved a lot of people wrong. And uh, he had a solid game in central defence. Obviously, he, he he did it did help that he wasn't an issue, which was great really because he was their choice. And defensively, I don't think there were too many things to, to complain about. It was a shock to see Keane, Michael Keane benched, Yerry Mina came back in, but Mina was very very strong. You could I mean you can talk about the second goal, um, but overall I thought it was a decent display. Yeah, me from him, Mina. Coming back in for Michael Keane was a little bit of a surprise, yeah. as you mentioned. That being said, this, the suggestion from Ancelotti afterwards that he wants to keep people fresh and he wants to reintegrate Yeri after that injury. I think he slotted back in pretty seamlessly, if I'm, if I'm honest. And part of the thinking Ancelotti said was that they were trying to be extra aggressive, extra physical, and effectively seize their moment in the attack particularly from set pieces and crosses and stuff like that. Well, actually, the best chance of the, the first half, for my money, went to Yerry Mina. Yeah. With the header that was cleared off the line by, by Zinchenko. Yeah. And I know I've, there's been quite a lot of discussion outside of the blue half of Merseyside about Everton's blueprint against, against City on Saturday, whether it was maybe overly defensive and, and stuff like that. Well, you've only got to look at the stats at half-time and the opportunities that presented. City had had all of the ball, but Everton had the best chance of the game. And I think it was four shots in the City box to just one in our area. Now, now that paints a picture of a blueprint that at that moment in time, certainly 45, 60, 75 minutes, that blueprint was working. 
and they've managed to limit a, a Manchester City side that has, has been pretty much all-conquering, if we're being honest, for for most of this season. Um, I think it was just a case of tired legs and tired minds and that bit of extra quality from the bench that City were able to call on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous, isn't it? It's ludicrous. They brought on Kevin De Bruyne and Riyad Mahrez, exactly. and we've got, yeah. we've got lads on the bench that are haven't been offered new deals and are out of contract at the end of at the end of the season and that, that's the disparity in in resources particularly with with Everton's stretch with injuries just going back to Virginia what I loved about him was that City's first big chance in my opinion fell to Raheem Sterling around the hour mark Virginia hadn't had that much to do he'd had to claim a few crosses and and save pretty easy shots from from distance but when the big opportunity presented he was switched on and he made that save. And actually it was a diff- difficult save, but he made it look relatively comfortable and, and tipped it around the post. Um, so kudos to him for, for that. I think concentration at the top level with goalkeepers is is something um, that's kind of underrated as a skill. And, and he did that relatively well. Um, but I, I'll be honest, maybe it sounds a bit defeatist, but I can't really find much fault in Everton given what they had at the disposal yeah. on Saturday. No, no, I would, I would, t- I would tend to agree with you. Um, you know, with that in mind, I suppose, look, it was dismally disappointing to be out the cup and to, to, to have the acceptance and the, that horrible creeping sensation that there's another year without silverware. So it doesn't build confidence at all, but it, this one shouldn't quite shatter confidence either, should it? I don't believe that, that that's the case at all. And Ancelotti said afterwards that he felt like there was no regret and that actually if there, if there was regret, it should have been for the performances against Fulham and Burnley and Newcastle oh, yeah. times spot, two. Spot yeah. um, at the end of the season, when we count the points and it's the final reckoning, it's going to be those performances, I think, that come home to roost for Everton, not losing 2-0 in an FA Cup quarterfinal against Manchester City. I know going an extra year without a trophy is symbolic, the fact that Everton now can no longer win anything this season is a big deal for fans. And it, of course it should be, but that was always going to be the most difficult draw that Everton could have had. It was always going to be a game, given the injuries, where Everton were going to be up against it. And actually, I think if, they, if they'd if they stuck to the guns in other matches, if they'd beaten Fulham, Burnley, Newcastle at least once, they'd be in a position now in the table where you'd look at them as realistic top four contenders and maybe more than that kind of favourites for that top four. So um, I can't, I don't think there can be too many regrets. I think the regrets will come in at the end of the season when they look back on those games against supposed lesser lights. Um, and there's still an opportunity with 10 games to go to, to push on into Europe. So I don't think uh, all's gone anyway. No, I agree. Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. There are, you know, mounting concerns injury-wise. Uh, we've got the confirmation since we last spoke, I think, that it looks like Abdullah Dekore. I mean, he's coy on it, Ancelotti, and uh, as might well he be, because, you know, you can't be 100% certain whether or not players can recover faster. But I think the default seems to be creeping up that it's going to be, uh, we won't see him again this season. Uh, or, or if we do, it might just be the last couple of games. Still might be important, but I think they're still trying. Or they were still trying to ascertain how bad the fracture was. Um, he's certainly not able to bear any weight, and he's in a boot, so that's a massive blow. Uh, but on the flip side, a player that we've spoken about endlessly, and you've written a lot about, um, <laughs> we had the news that Jean Philippe Gabamin is going to be apparently is going to be back after the international break. So whether he's going to be tra- well, I think it's more he's going to be back in full training. Maybe seeing him in the team for Palace might be uh, might be a leap too far, but certainly he's going to be in contention soon. Yeah, I think it would be a step too far to reintegrate him into first team action against Crystal Palace. He's been out since August 2019, <laughs> so it's what eighteen months. Incredible. And in his time at Everton, in that 18, 20 month period, however long it is, he's had one hundred and thirty five minutes of action. So the idea that he's going to come straight back in and be Everton's kind of solve all solution i think is something we need to dispense with yeah pretty urgently yeah that being the, the the shame about this is that without ducore everton lack legs in the midfield and it means that they're forced into defending a little bit deeper uh, we saw that against manchester city anyway but i think on the whole they're not able to play on the front foot the same way because the midfielders just can't get back um gabamin his movement his athleticism um, would all come in useful in this scenario. I think he's he's probably the, the, the closest to a Ducore replacement that you get in the current squad, even if there are differences. Um, so we're going to have to bide our time. Everton have been really cautious with this. Um, I spoke to Gabamin's personal trainer in, well, it was at the start of the year, and he'd worked with him up to around December time when he returned to England. And I mean, it's taken three and a half, nearly four months to get us from the period where he's doing individual work to being ready to go into contract contact training with the with the first team. That tells you everything you need to know. He is chomping at the bit to to play. I know that I know that for a fact. But it's um it's all about making sure that he doesn't break down yet again. Because if he breaks down for what that'd be the fourth time. Uh, <laughs> if he breaks down for the fourth time, then it's going to be a really difficult road back. And that's that's a physical thing, but it's also a mental thing too. I actually think your players often come back from long-term injuries, play a couple of games and then have to sit out a couple of games as their body kind of readjusts and then throws up a few. 
issues. So if that happens, I don't think necessarily everyone's head should explode. Um, yeah. I, but I would add the caveat that obviously all is every other time he's come back or has been about to come back, it's been a major, major setback. So um, if that were to happen again, and God forbid, really, really, this lad needs some deserves some good fortune, then you really would be, uh, you'd just be wondering whether or not it's better for all parties. But look, let's let's look on the positive side of things. He's a young, he's a young guy. Um, yes, he hasn't played much at all, but if he can be of any influence in, in the running. Then it'll be a welcome, a welcome return. Because effectively, we haven't had him any. Well, we haven't had him full stop. So, um, eventually, he'll be an important. I think an important addition in the in the midfield. Just on that point, I remember writing about Andre Gomez's return at the at the Emirates, and he'd obviously been out for a good amount of time after that horrific tackle from Hyunmin Son at Goodison, and I think it was November of Silver's second year. And I was told that. Because he'd been injured and because he'd learned how to put his weight and load his weight in different parts of his body, that was putting different parts of his body under more strain. And therefore, he was he was almost going to be more susceptible to new injuries, different injuries. And I don't mean big ones. I mean more kind of muscular injuries because he's he might just put a bit of extra weight on his left foot when he's, exactly. when he's running or on, his, or on his, his left quad, whatever it may be. So I think you're entirely right in pointing out that this is not going to be a linear process. There might well be a a small setback here or there. But the main thing is that on the whole, the injury that he had, which was a tendon, an ankle tendon injury, and initially the quadriceps injury, the main thing is that those two two things have, have, have adequately healed. Definitely. And, and speaking of adequately healing, this is also time for, for Amos Rodriguez's calf to get <laughs> not 99% or 90% or whatever, 80%, but to be 100% right and to stay right because God knows we need him, don't we, as well in the running? Yeah, I'm starting to feel really old now. And it's worth <laughs> adding at this moment in time that I'm only 29. Um, Same age as Amos, isn't it? I've, I've, I've got, it is. And I've got slight fears over hitting 30. That seems like a, a milestone that I really don't want in my life um but to see James Rodriguez on Twitch announcing to us all when he's going to be back and then us having to report on that is is quite a bizarre departure from the from the journalism career I expected <laughs> to to be honest um no he's um the, the suggestion is that he would resume training this week the week we're recording and that he'd potentially be back for the game against Crystal Palace that can't come soon enough because when you look at Everton in possession, he's absolutely fundamental. He's integral to the process, not just in terms of creating goals and scoring goals, but further back in play. Sometimes when we do these match pieces after games, we'll show a player event map. So it'll be everything, every kind of action from a player, tackles, passes, interceptions, all those kinds of things over the course of a game. And whereas, say, for example, Gilfie Sigurdsson as a number 10 will just be in that space in front of the penalty area. And then there'll be a bit of stuff out wide on the right and the left where he's crossing the ball. James's event map is nearly always congested and concentrated around the centre circle and that, that kind of middle third of the pitch. He, he's, he helps Everton progress the ball. He helps Everton build attacks. And he's also the main creator as well. So with that, there's such a reliance on him. There's an over-reliance on him. Uh, and he can't get back soon enough because, uh, like I said, I think he's going to be pivotal in that final 10, 10 games of the season if 
he can actually stay fit this time. It is an over-reliance. I agree with that phrasing. And I think it's something that needs to be addressed in the summer in the transfer window, to yeah. be honest. Um, speaking of building at the back, obviously uh, another, I would argue, faultless performance from the, the fantastic Ben Godfrey against City at Goodison on Saturday evening. Um, you spoke to Ben yesterday uh, while he was away on international duty. What day? I'm losing track of time, <laughs> space and time. It's Wednesday. Isn't it? Yeah, you spoke remember. to him anyway in, in the last 24 hours. And um, tell us what he was uh, he was saying about his time so far at Everton. Yeah, I, th- I think he's one of those players that's more or less immediately struck up a bond with the supporters. If you could craft a kind of identikit Everton, modern Everton player, somebody who was going to be loved by the fans, I think it would he pretty much looked like Ben Godfrey at this moment in time. He's, he's, he's physical, he's aggressive. Everton supporters, as we know, love a crunching tackle when, they, when they're at Goodison. Um, but his attitude's spot on as well. He's, he's spoken about being a leader, wanting to, to develop as a future leader at Everton and with England. Um, I think he's been pretty much faultless since he came in. And obviously the caveat here, he's had, he's had to move around, he's had to play in different positions. When he's been at left-back, we know he's not going to create like Luca Dean. Let's be honest, that's just not realistic. Um, but a growing influence at centre back since he's since he's moved there, and one of the first names on the on the team sheet for me, I think, is glass ceiling. Of all the Everton centre backs, his glass ceiling is the highest, and it may well be the highest by far, given the attributes he's got at his disposal at the age of just twenty three. So yeah, I, I spoke to him on Tuesday, I think it was, ahead of the UEFA Euro Under Twenty One Championships. He's going to assume a leadership role for England in that tournament. He's going to be vital to their hopes. And he was just, he started speaking about how much he loves responsibility, having that responsibility heaped on him, being a leader. It's kind of something that's followed him around throughout his career already. And it's something he wants to continue to do further on in his career. So he spoke about that. And then I asked about Seamus Coleman and what he can take from Seamus. And by the sounds of it, Seamus is somebody who looks at quite a lot and and looks to model bits of his leadership on. So uh, it was good to chat to him. It was, it was really good. It was nice to have that ahead of the Euros. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes and how England go because I think they've got an exciting crop of players. Um, but also Tom Davis is in the picture as well. So um, there's a bit of Everton representation there. Um, something to keep us vaguely interested in football over the next few weeks. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, you mentioned... You mentioned there with, uh, obviously, Godfrey being asked to deputise at left-back at times, and Luca Dean's absence anyway. Um, but a bit more of a long-term issue with Seamus Coleman ages is the quandary of who's been deputising and, and, and what we have and don't have down the right. To that end, you and Mark Carey, one of our stats specialists, we looked into a piece about you know who we might look at to be the long-term successor to Seamus Coleman. Um, in the same way as you know, the, the issue we faced replacing Leighton Baines and, and addressed successfully back in 2017, uh, 2018, 2017, 18, Luca Dean. I'm going to say 18. 18, it was, you're right. Uh, nevertheless, so you and Mark had a good chat about that, put your heads together and came up with some really interesting potential solutions, whether it's going to be another Norwich raid for Max Ahrens and how much we might have to pay for that. Um, so at this point, I think we will introduce Mark, uh, get a, a, a debut on the podcast and ask what he made of that search. Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I mean, we, we spoke about it at length, didn't we, Paddy, of, of the criteria, I guess, of exactly who would be best suited to, to I guess, fill the, the big shoes of Seamus Coleman over a long period. It's hard to, to really just, yeah, come straight in and, and fill those shoes. But you want someone, I guess, who is you know up and down that right hand side and more more adept at um yeah running and and carrying the ball more so than actually looking for a pass that's actually going to be maybe a progressive pass that's getting up and down that wing and yeah max max Aaron's was one who came out really strongly obviously someone who's um had experience with the premier league themselves and yes norwich didn't do very well last season but they've they've been really strong this season obviously going to come straight back up to the premier league by the looks of it um and he's he's been doing really well. I think people have, you know, given him rave reviews, but I think that they've sort of used the fact that he hasn't had any assists as a, as a bit of a stick to beat him with because, mm. the, you know, it's very easy to say that, but the, the actual performances that he's he's provided and the uh, the chances that he's actually created actually suggest that he's he's far more creative than than those assists suggest. So uh, he'd be a really good shout. And he, you know, he's twenty one. I mean, if if you were to get him, then he's someone who could be similar to Coleman in the right back position for for many many years. So he's a he's a really key one. I mean, would the Everton fans want him? It's <laughs> a good question, Pad. What, what do you think? Does he does he fit the bill? It was funny actually the other day. He's obviously quite close to Ben Godfrey, and he posted an image on Twitter in the England camp. They were both in train, and they both had their blue on their blue England jerseys. And it, it, yeah, it's, it's Max Aarons and, and Ben Goffey looking like they're doing a bit of football tennis, something like that. Click on that and then look at the comments beneath 
And because he's a Norwich player, you'd expect most of the comments to be from Norwich supporters. But it's just a sea of Everton fans just saying, come to Everton, come to Everton, come to Goodison. Agent Ben Godfrey this, Agent Ben Godfrey that, um, doing the Lord's work. And uh, even people are not religious <laughs> saying that, so that's, that, that baffled me. But um, <laughs> it's quite funny to see that. So I guess that gives you some indication, uh, certainly to what Everton Twitter thinks, if, if you can call them a one homogenous group. For me personally, and Mark's touched on this before, I think the key thing to stress is that Everton are looking for different things from the fullbacks. They're not looking for another version of Luca Dean, I don't think. I think what they want is probably going to be somebody who's more athletic, maybe a little bit more physical in some ways. We know Marcel Brands loves his, his physical metrics and, and running data um, and effectively an upgrade in the long term on, on Seamus Coleman. And what I'd say is this does need to be, in my opinion, at least a long-term successor. I don't really want to see a, a Florenzi or somebody like that who was suggested over the summer. Luca Vasquez was linked, wasn't he? 29 years but, old. Vasquez could be a decent short-term option, but what I would actually like to see is Seamus being there to nurture a much younger option so that Everton's future at right-back is, is more or less secured for five, six, seven years. Somebody like Max Ahrens gives you that, but there are other players that, that do that as well. Um, does the fact that Max Ahrens has played with Ben Godfrey, does that count for him in terms of cohesion? Let's see. Let's see over time. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll be one that they're looking at. But there, there were other names mentioned in the piece, some of whom were almost entirely Mark's suggestion, um, came up on, on data searches, looking at the things we, we wanted to, to discuss, physicality, aggression, ability to carry the ball up the pitch and, and move well in possession. So uh, that yeah, Tariq Lamptey was one from from Brighton that 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 kind of showed up quite well in the stats. I think Mark. Yeah, he did show up quite well in the stats. I think the fact that he played, I mean, Brighton play in a, a back three as well might be something where I know that Everton have played in back three before, but it's something which may work against him slightly, and that he's, he's you know. In, might take a bit of time to get used to that sort of system, but he's someone again who you know buzzes up and down that right hand side. So uh, he'd certainly be with the shout, and I think he's twenty years old as well. So it goes again that he's someone who could be filled that position for for a number of years. I mean, one which I thought was it's not really an outside shout because it's he plays for an established team in in Wolfsburg, but um, one that I, I enjoyed looking at and sort of profiling statistically um, was someone called Kevin and Babu. Who, uh, who's 25 years old, plays for Wolf, plays for Wolfsburg um, at right back. And Wolfsburg are pushing for Champions League at the moment. I think they're third in the Bundesliga. And it's, you know, aside from the recent Chelsea signings, a lot of players who do come from the Bundesliga do tend to do quite well in the Premier League because they've got a similar sort of league style and, and league strength. So in terms of fitting in, um, he could, you know, you'd imagine that he'd be able to to fit in quite seamlessly into that league first and foremost. And he has had a brief spell at Newcastle in the past as well, so um, potentially just used to used to English. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I always love a, a random Bundesliga name because, as you say, that they do. It is one of those leagues where you can see the often see that there's a correlation. Um, with the sort of pace, I think, of it and the physicality of it. So not not quite the Premier League, but you can see that there's some there are some sort of translatables. Um, we won't be able to get into great detail on all the options, but there are about five or six players that you guys are considering in the article. And do I really do recommend that you go and read it because it's it's fascinating. But Mark, I want to know about the uh, the graphs in the article reminiscent uh. of Pro Evo <laughs> Soccer. 
<laughs> well, yeah. So we use uh, Smarter Scout to uh, to use our sort of statistical profiling of players, and it's we, we find it really useful to just look at a glance. There's a whole selection of different um, stylistic uh, attributes that each player has, and it is just something to. So yeah, look at it at a glance and just see basically the more color that you have on a certain, um, we call them pizza charts. So the more color you have on a slice of the pizza chart, the more that player either does a certain given action or you know, is uh, is quite adept or quite uh, capable at this certain action. So um, yeah, if you to really boil it down to, to simple terms, it's the more color, the better. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you'll see it on, if uh, for those who have read it and anyone who hasn't, um, yeah, we encourage you to do so. But there's, uh, yeah, there's each of the players that we look at, they have those different um, stylistic attributes, but a lot of them have that same theme running through of a, a high um, carry and dribble volume. So how much they actually look to to move with the ball and progress with the ball. And um, almost all of them, I think, are, are pretty high on that. So it was a key criteria that that Paddy and I wanted to, to make sure that we have when we're looking at similar sort of players um, to Coleman, but you know, different enough that they they can offer something different for the for the next few years. Yeah, absolutely, I think the, some of the names that you, you mentioned are going to be hotly contested signatures, and certainly in, in Lamperty and Aaron's position. But I do I must admit, it did uh, it whet my appetite to the thought of seeing either of those two, and then uh, again intrigued by uh, the likes of Mbappe and some of the other players. So really interesting reading, and thanks for helping us with that, Mark. While we've got you as well, uh, you did a piece. Uh, was it a fortnight ago? Where you basically did a rundown on the permutations for top the top four. Now Everton were kind of in the race to a degree at that point, and arguably it's a, it's really straining it to suggest they still are in the in the race. However, as Paddy and I were saying before we started recording, um, we still got that game in hand. What do you, uh, do you remind us? What you sort of made of Everton's credentials? As, as it was. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose I should caveat this by saying that it is all driven by the numbers <laughs> um, and I'm not giving my personal opinion here because it, it doesn't make for great reading, I guess, um, for, for Everton in terms of look, what we typically do in, in terms of looking at teams' underlying numbers is look at their expected goals for and against. So put simply, what are the quality of the chances they're creating and conceding um, on average? Um, and for, for Everton there, their expected goals for was 1.2 per game. So they're creating just over a goal's worth um, of, sort of quality chances per game, which is actually the 12th best in the league. So pretty below where the sort of league position is. Um, and looking at expected goals against, so with the sort of quality of chances they're conceding, on average is 1.3 per game. So they're actually conceding more chances um, and quality chances uh, than they are actually looking to create. And that's the 14th best in the league in terms of that. So overall, they're sort of hovering around 12th in terms of expected goal difference, which is just a useful proxy to see, you know, underlying numbers where the team sort of should should be based on the quality of those chances. And the, the obviously the real league position is because sometimes teams outperform or underperform those actual positions. So of course, it's going to be you know, less representative than the league position, but it's a good, a good proxy and a good idea of um, gives a good idea of where teams potentially should be if if things were to play out over a longer period. So it may suggest Everton are in a slightly um, false position, but you know they, they're they're having a great season overall, and you just think that can they just maybe ride their luck just for a little bit longer? I mean, something I thought of in terms of their expected goals difference. And the chances that they are giving up, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it, are that 
I think sometimes when they go ahead, they're more likely to sit on the lead and then allow those chances maybe to be created. But but they're they're more content to protect the lead rather than go ahead and, and create more chances. So I think it's you know the context there is that it might be slightly skewed by that that once they've taken the lead, they're more likely to to protect it. Would yeah. that be a fair? I, I would fair completely agree with that. You, you look at the way possession stats fall after Everton take a lead in games. And it does show you that they, they, they're quite adept at holding on to an advantage, but they're really not good at chasing when they when they go behind. Their, their record when they go behind in games is it's quite poor, really, by by any side standard, particularly one that supposedly has aspirations of being in the in the top four. So I, I, I do believe there's something in that. I also think the, the other thing is they've effectively been carving out and the data shows this one big chance a game. And inevitably, it's a it's a really quality cross from a Hammers, Sigurdsson, Luca Dean to Calvert Lewin, which is almost always dispatched at this moment in time. Um, they're not creating more than that, and that's why I think it's hard for Richarlson and Calvert Lewin to both go on scoring runs at the same time. But then the the fact that they've got Hammers kind of supersedes some of this data, if that makes sense. And I, I realise you're a data analyst, so I shouldn't be saying this, but I think almost Hammers Rodriguez is a cheat code. He's the guy that will probably score you 0.1 chance a game. And I think that makes a, a big, big difference to Everton. So I don't know if you agree with that, Mark. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is something where, I mean, yes, I'm a data analyst, but I'm not purely data analyst. I'm also a football fan. So I always like to to give a bit of a you know an opinion and a context around it as well. And you're absolutely right, because a lot of the data that, that we look through um, and things like expected goals are based on the average player. And it's fair to say that James Rodriguez is not your average player. He's above average. So he's likely to to overperform and, and do a little bit better than than what you'd expect, I suppose. And he's, you know, he's got that that long range shot in his locker and he's able to to carve things out that maybe other people won't. So yeah, I, I definitely think that is true for certain players, for sure. I think that yeah, maybe teams have, have looked to to try and either I guess stop the provision of uh, of the balls into Calvert Lewin because I've looked at the shot map of um, of Calvert Lewin and he exclusively scores within the box. I mean that that's not a surprise, right? But in terms of just trying to stop the balls into the box or just look to just stop Calvert Lewin getting a touch within the box, then maybe teams have started to work that out because he had such a great start to the season that maybe that's that's also looking to to stop him there, but. Yeah, the likes of Calvert Lewin, Richarlison, Hamas Rodriguez, you've got players who, who can win you games that sort of defy the data in many ways. I like it, uh, defying the data. <laughs> we seem to do a lot the of that. The other thing there, Mark, is that we're talking almost exclusively about crosses. When you look at that, I've, I've seen the same map you're talking about with Calvert Lewin. And not only is it almost exclusively in the box, but it's mainly six yard box, if, if we're being on a central six yard box. And I think what what's happened is if Everton haven't got aerial dominance, if they're not winning those confrontations in the air they really are struggling to to carve out much else from open play and i think that's where james being fit and available in that final 10 games of the season really is important because they need to find new ways of attacking they can't always just hope to to prey on a, a set piece or a cross there needs to be stuff from open play they need to slide balls through the defense they need different ways to attack and they the shame for me so far this season has been that in the early part of the season, they were doing that stuff. Look back on the game against West Brom, Brighton at home, even Crystal Palace away. And it's lovely free-flowing football where you've got the fullbacks bombing on, Hammers picking up pockets of space, crosses coming into the box, but loads of different avenues to attack. And I think that's really difficult to defend against. 
But when James is not there, I think there's such a reliance on that left-hand side. We've already spoken about the need for reinforcements on the right. So if, if the threat's coming from one position and you more or less know where the ball is going to go, that makes it much easier for sides, particularly Burnley, Newcastle, teams that are adept at defending crosses normally in the box. I think it makes it much easier for them to to come away from Goodison in particular points. So I, I think this just helps to explain why Everton are, have been so poor at Goodison this year. Absolutely. Uh, interesting stuff. Mark, thank you ever so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Hopefully we'll get you on in future to uh, talk about breaking down the numbers when we have got Max Allens or <laughs> Tariq Lamptey see uh, how they're adjusting to Goodison Park. So with no games this weekend, what we are going to do is uh, a, ne- a mailbag next week. I don't know if you remember those in the site. We've not done one for a while, but basically we'll answer your questions. So whatever it is, get your questions into us on Twitter. Use the hashtag hashtag glad tidings g w l a d tidings t a d i n g s and we'll pick the best ones and have a look at answering them next week thanks again to mark and as ever to paddy for listening and uh, for, for joining in rather and thank you for listening we'll be back as i say next week with plenty more to talk about ahead of the important resumption of our fight for the top six should we say yeah let's go with that that'll do <laughs> <laughs>